Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. In today's episode, I'm going to be taking a look at the biggest selling female rapper of all time. She was also the first female MC to perform at the Grammys and the first to get a number one album in the UK. She calls herself a queen and I agree. I am of course talking about the prolific Nicki Minaj. I'm going to take you through her life and music to understand what it is about her, not just as an artist, but as a person that took her so far, how she's managed to achieve the level of fame and critical acclaim that she has and get to such a level. I'm also going to touch on some of the controversy surrounding her and why she doesn't always get the respect she deserves in the rap world. If we want more women to compete with Nikki to get to that level of success, she's someone I think it would pay to learn from. We also have a guest mix this week from the Fabias Diamora, most commonly known as Rose God. She's from the San Fernando Valley in California, but actually started her DJing career in Harlem in New York. Rose God is a super creative person who loves both music and fashion and especially loves finding ways to bring those two worlds together. Her mix is full of gems from Megan Thee Stallion, Dreezy, Malibu Mitch and many others. As will be the way with all the mixes on this podcast, it's women front and centre. So a great place to discover new artists and also enjoy the big hitters. Thank you so much to Rose Gold for her creativity and talent in pulling us together. The mix will be about 20 minutes into the show. So if you're not into Nikki, you can skip ahead, but hopefully you'll stick around. Okay, let's get into it. Ladies, gentlemen, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. Nicki Minaj was born in the Caribbean island of Trinidad and Tobago, and she was named Onika Tanya Mirage. While here, she lived with her grandmother, and her parents set roots down in the States. It was not an easy start, as she tells it. Her father was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and they didn't have much money, so there was a lot of tension and absence in the house. Nikki originally pursued acting. She got into a performing arts school in New York called the, uh, excuse my pronunciation, Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School. Fancy. It's a famous art school. It's actually the place the film Fame was based on and Robert Neuer and Jennifer Aniston are also alumni. Nikki pursued acting initially and that's what she got into the school to do. But it didn't really go anywhere for her. She wasn't getting cast, which... When you think about how failure can define you, I think it's a really important point to first pause on. Because if acting had gone better for Nikki, she probably wouldn't have pursued music with the same hunger. Living in New York, most of the key players in hip-hop were from around there, really, at that time. So she started to connect to that world around her. And it was Queens, New York, specifically, that she was from, that she talks about a lot as being influential. After high school, she started emceeing under the name Nikki Mirage, and she joined a group called the Hoodsters, but she wasn't much of a group performer and wanted to be doing her own thing. So she worked and she improved her emcee skills, and then she got spotted, first of all, by this guy called Big Fendi, who saw her at a live show. Big Fendi signed her as a new artist, and um, in order to get new artists out into the world, the label Dirty Money at that time were making and putting out this DVD series called The Come Up, which was essentially like a load of back-to-back music videos. So we're in 2007. So if you want to see pure old Nikki the MC, this is quite an interesting place to kind of go back and dig into the archives. And for people who question her ability as an MC and a rapper, I think these flashbacks are quite important because that's that was what she started as. Nikki wanted to be the biggest and the richest, and so her decision to create the music she has now were very deliberate. But 
as I said, this is where you can see, I think this was a part in her career where she could have taken many different routes as an artist. And when she, there was a period of transition where she transitioned between Big Fendi as a manager to a woman called Deborah Anthony as a manager who I'll go on to touch on in a bit. And during that time, those two have a bit of a clash because Deb says that Big Fendi was trying to create Nikki into this kind of essentially like a replica little Kim for a new generation and Nikki didn't want to do that Nikki wanted to do something different but Fendi was the one to change her rap name from Nikki Mirage to Nikki Minaj and she was born the first time I heard of Nikki Minaj was on the song Bedrock which I think is still good I don't know if you remember Bedrock it had that catchy hook from Lloyd it also featured Drake and Tiger Bedrock was like Young Money's coming out song and all the artists with the best verses were the are actually the ones we still hear on the radio. Um, like Drake had that famous line, Shake and Bake, Ricky Bobby, which is still in a lot of songs now. Um, and I remember ni- seeing Nikki and thinking, she's got it, whatever it is. You just paid more attention to her. Wayne is often given a lot of credit for the success of both Nikki and Drake. And I think it's fair because Lil Wayne did for those artists what Dr. Dre did for Eminem, really. He was the one who had success at that point and came out and said, these people are good and I'm going to give them a platform to be public. Those come up DVD music videos I mentioned were also featured Lil Wayne. So that's when they first started to cross paths. How, how does he help you step your game up? Because he works so fucking hard. Like, he shows me that no matter how high you think you are, you can't give up. You know what I'm saying? It's like you, you have to keep that chokehold on the game because there's always somebody itching and, and ready to take your spot. And he, he, he works like if it's his first day on the job. And I love that about him. So, you know, it, it always inspires me. Like, damn, if Weezy is, is doing is you know, going as hard, I got to step my game up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm nowhere close to where he is. That interview I just played was from 2008 when Nikki had just started to put out music under Young Money. I love hearing and seeing those kind of insights on someone. You can see that Lil Wayne, yes, he had a platform for Nikki, but he also gave her the kind of advice that people need to be told early on in their careers to take your craft really seriously, always, and to just keep working at it. An early manager Nikki had, who I mentioned briefly earlier, called Deborah Antney, um, who's also managed rappers like French Montana and Gucci Man, said in an interview with Vice, Nikki has made it hard for me to work with other women. Her focus was phenomenal. There wasn't no partying, there wasn't no drugs, there wasn't no guys, she worked. In the period from 2007 to 2009, when Nikki's about 25, 26, she started releasing music under Young Money. These songs weren't huge, but at the time she was also featuring on the records of some big artists. So Mariah Carey was the most notable. Um which is something that typically male rappers do a lot. Like, you know, you get your little mix featuring Stormzy or Ray Black's got a song out with Chip at the moment. It's rarer to have female MCs featuring in this way. But it was a really great way for Nikki to build her profile in mainstream radio. And by this point, she started to develop into this like slightly larger than life persona that she would bring across in those features. She was very confident and stood her ground as an artist on those collaborations. So you start to see her transition from underground, like proper hip hop solo work, and then this fusion of high profile pop collaborations. So you've got Anika, the actress, and then Nicki Mirage, the MC, And these two people essentially came together to become Nicki Minaj, the performer. 
Then I'ma go teeth and fangs. Then that's what a motherfucking monster do. Okay. What? I know this because my money ain't. <laughs> this is probably the defining moment of her career. You have this track by Kanye West featuring himself, obviously, Jay Z, and Rick Ross on a record. And in terms of success and respectability in the industry, it doesn't really get much more standout than that. And then you have this chick, Nicki Minaj, who's pretty new on the scene and done some decent features. Around this time, I saw an interview with Kanye who described Nicki as the most dangerous artist around at that time. He actually said he thought she had the potential to be the second best rapper of all time. He was like, no one's going to beat Eminem, but you could be the second best. And essentially on that record, um, Nicki created one of the most iconic verses of all time. It's Possibly my favorite feature verse ever, and I'm not alone in that. Pull up in the monster automobile gangster with a bad bitch to come from Sri Lanka. Yeah, I'm in the tank of color of Wiggly Wonka. You can be the queen, but watch the queen conquer. First, first things first, first, I eat your brains. I'm gonna start rocking gold, gold teeth, teeth and fangs, because that's what a motherfucking monster, monster do. Heal up on the hill with a monster crew. Monster baby, heal with a monster too. Ah. Young money is the roster in the monster crew. And I'm all, all, all up in the bank with the funny Pretty face. Fake. And if I'm faked, I know it because my money, money ain't. Now wait, I know rookie. Yeah, no, I I know rookie, but my bitches, my ways, same time you pay, 50k for reverse, no album out. Yeah, my money's so tall that my body gotta climb it, hotter than the Middle East and climb it, climb it, dutty wine it, wine it. Cause these people too one track minded. Now really, really, I don't give a f u c k. Forget fuck nigga, cause she's fake. Eating cheesecake. Uh, thick wit, thick fast, making things fast. This is what you just saw. Look at what you lift off. Ah! I'm a motherfucking monster. Hey! <laughs> That's what you do when you don't know the words. Just do the cadence. <laughs> <laughs> think fast, <laughs> think fast. I'm a motherfucking That's monster. All. I do know the words, but you've given me four shots. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. That was Ed Sheeran there. I don't know if you've seen Adele's carpool karaoke, but she also raps the verse. It's pretty iconic. By the time Nikki actually released her first proper solo single, uh, Massive Attack, which probably everyone listening has forgotten about, she was already a big hit. Her first album was called Pink Friday and it featured songs like Moment for Life and Right Through Me, um, which are nice songs, but, but they're softer, they're pop songs. And this is probably the point where opinion really started to divide on Nikki because it would be fair to say that this whole album was really a pop album, maybe an R&B album. And I think people were hoping she'd be releasing a, a proper hip hop album. After that record, she then released Pink Friday Roman Reloaded, which was broader and a, and just generally a better record, I think. You got the sense that she had accepted herself and who she wanted to be as an artist. And this featured tracks like Bees in the Trap with Two Chains. It also featured Pound the Alarm and Starships. So it was super broad. You had proper pop records, which, like, Starships was one of the biggest selling singles of the time. Um, Bees in the Trap was, I think it's cool. It's more hip-hop, and, like, that's good to see. She said of that album, this is who I am right now, take it or leave it. So going back to the point about being deliberate, there was no labels wanted her to do this, but she wanted to do this, like, this was Nikki, this was what she wanted to do. And her style was really coming across at this time as well. It was very colourful, very playful. In a way, more like pop stars like a Katy Perry or a Lady Gaga than what you would typically see with hip-hop artists. And it's hard to think of male rappers who have done this to such an extent. 
Like Eminem did the character and comedy thing, but that was purely on a song. He didn't come to red carpet events dressed as Marshall Mathers, for example. Um, and you know, Nicky can, I suppose even Kendrick as well does it a little bit, but again, to the same point, he doesn't, he, those are personas in songs. They're not personas that he brings out and about with him. Um, and Nicky can rap like the best hip hop MCs, but, but what she did was something different and brought more character. And that, those decisions allowed her to be bigger. She has been for the past dec- decade, really, the poster girl for rap beef. Like, if you want to beef, then it's probably going to be with Nikki. And I think a lot of that stems from this completely ridiculous notion that there can only be one woman at the top of the rap game. So press are always creating this culture of, like, if you're coming in, you want to take on Nikki. If you want to get to the top, Nikki's the one that you have to replace. There are enough women hungry and talented enough to be chart-topping now, so I think hopefully this can start to melt away. But research has shown that women are less supportive of other women in conditions where... They are both underrepresented underrepresented, and feel that there are less opportunities for advancement. So it creates a more competitive atmosphere. But as I said, I think I think there's time for that to disappear now. Um, I did hear that Lady Leisha was offered 250 grand to write a diss track about Nikki, which is how you can see this like beef culture isn't a lot of the time coming from the artist. It's heavily encouraged by management. It's like people in their ears saying, you know, you could go and do this and that would make a success and you could take her on. And Nikki does get a lot of negative press for not picking up other female artists. Like she famously skipped Lil' Kim as being one of her influences and Lil' Kim before Nikki was a standout rapper. And there are are a lot of crossovers between the two of them. So I think that was a bit silly of her, shall we say. Um... Whereas someone like Remy Ma, for example, did a did a concert recently and she brought out MC Light, Queen Latifah, these kind of heroines of of, of rap. Um but I, I hopefully it's something that, that Nikki's kind of growing out of. I I don't think it came from maybe it didn't come from a conscious place, but I know when she toured the UK recently she made a point to reach out to Miss Banks, Lady Alicia, Lisa Mercedes, and invite them on stage with her. So and Miss Banks has spoken about how Nikki's been a bit of a mentor for her. So I think that if that was ever the case, that she felt like she needed to be up against every female rapper, it's not the case today. And on then there was the Nikki and Cardi B beef. But the sense I got from that was it was a massive media swell for most of, the, most of the time. Apparently it did culminate in a fight, but I think that neither of them really wanted it to happen. And it was just like everyone around them being like, well, of course, like Cardi's a queen, Nikki's a queen, who's this new girl? Da, 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 da. Um, Queen, Nikki's latest album, is probably more full of hits than any of her others, um, in my opinion, which I think in a streaming generation is really smart because people aren't just going out and buying two albums these days and listening to them on their Walkman. They're listening to singles. So an album is a good way to get your singles together, but the more hits that are on there, the more um, streams you're going to generate for the individual songs. If Nikki had stuck to rap more, would she be more respected by certain people? Absolutely. But she probably wouldn't be as successful as she is. So to people who question whether she is one of the greatest rappers of all time, I would say, yes, you can question it. But I think we should judge that argument on her raps and her emceeing ability and not on her full music library. We need to create an environment where artists can experiment with their sound and access different audiences. And it doesn't remove them from still being respected in their original genres, I think. Although I would like to see Nikki battle because she doesn't do that ever. And I think that's a fundamental rap thing that is good to see someone freestyling. Maybe she, maybe she won't give us that, but I would like her to. 
So to conclude on Nikki's career, and if you're an up-and-coming female rapper and you're thinking about the decisions that she made versus other people, I think a lot of it comes down to how big you actually want to be. And if you want to be as big as Nikki, you need to be accessible to a broader range of people. And that is a choice. It's not an accident. It's not something you stumble upon. Artists like Nikki have fortunately paved the way for, you know, I don't want to say female rap to be more mainstream. That's what she said, apparently. She credits herself with making female rap mainstream. But I think she makes a fair point um, because mainstream, in terms of you hear it on the radio all the time, at the time when she really came out, that wasn't happening. So now it's happening more and more. Um, that's a positive thing. Hopefully now people who are a bit dialed down, like a Little Sims, for example, the world is ready for it. Thanks, Nikki. For rights reasons, we cannot play music on certain channels. So if you're listening to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or a similar streaming platform, you will need to go to SoundCloud to listen to the mixes. Sorry about that. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Okay. What up, Let's <laughs> We keep our eyes on the prize. If ain't no surprise, good women, we're destined to rise.